Roxo Media House. Welcome back to Fortitude, folks. J.W. Wilson with my co-host, Brenton Payne. I lassoed you. Uh, brought to you, of course, by our friends at Captex Bank. Our old friend Eddie Brown is back here today, our investigative journalist buddy from the 4th Weekly. Sleuth. Sleuth, Stirring indeed. trouble. La- yeah. Last time he was here, he exposed some issues related to the Tarrant County judges presiding over some cases where they weren't appropriately certified. False titles. Lines. Correct. Today, though, Brenton, some Tarrant County prosecutors have been doing some things maybe they shouldn't be doing. <laughs> Fair to say. Fair to say. Yes. Welcome to the show. Back to the show, Eddie Brown. We appreciate the time. Let's get into it. Hang on, yeah. real quick, Eddie. Have you ever? Th- I mean, what if? What if we get in trouble? And Eddie's saying this about the prosecutors. We're going to be like looked at in a different light. You I feel know, good. My conscience is clear. In, don't get into any legal trouble. You won't get. You'll, you won't get caught up in the system. Easier go. said yeah, than done. Eddie. Anyway. Easier said than done. <laughs> Um, I want to mention all the stories I'm going to talk about today um, have been published at the weekly. So uh, it's all stuff that's already out there and we've already vetted it and whatnot. But um, I wanted to start by talking about prosecutors and um, amongst all the different levels of the criminal justice system, um, they receive routinely the least amount of scrutiny. And I was thinking about that. Um, I think there's really two reasons. And I say scrutiny from the public and the media, right? They're, they're very rarely mentioned if they are. It's, it's just, you know, they're prosecuting this in that case um i think right now there's a lot of public attention on policing mm-hmm. and so i think there's a kind of a disproportionate uh, you know amount of attention being paid to uh, policing basically and we all see that every day um secondly i think uh you know, popular culture uh think law and order you know movies um that portray prosecutors um are almost always uh, in, they do it in a way that kind of reveres the position and through my work at the weekly and I, I enjoy looking at the criminal justice system i think it's important for folks to remember that just like police just like you and me uh these are humans and they have um emotions and intrinsic biases just like everyone else mm-hmm. and while their job is to be an um a neutral arbiter of justice um they're still humans and um according to the washington post around 30 percent of wrongful convictions are the results of prosecutorial misconduct. So that could be uh, withholding evidence that would help the defense. That could be outright lying during the trial. Um, prosecutors are there to win, right? So they're there to to win. Um, those figures are, they know what their winning percentage is. And that's, you know, one criteria that's used. They would deny it, but that is one criteria that's used to promote them and whatnot. So I have uh, five stories I want to share today about uh, prosecutors and it'll kind of shed light on uh, kind of a more realistic, uh, nuanced look at uh, the role they play in Tarrant County. I'm going to start with our top prosecutor. Who's a top prosecutor in Tarrant County right now? Sharon Wilson's gone. Mm. Phil Sorrels. Sorrels, right? yes. Phil Sorrels, yeah. Just took office. And he um, was- He's a, the GM though, right? Like, was, he, he, like he yeah. doesn't actually prosecute. He's right? considered the, the, the district attorney. Everyone else, uh, you won't see him in court prosecuting. You're yeah, correct. That's, right. that's a good point. But he is a district attorney. He is the, t- the top prosecutor. He decides, uh, has say on which cases are, are prosecuted and whatnot. Under him are um, a large number of assistant district attorneys. These are the folks who you will see in the courtroom actually prosecuting the cases. So it's an important distinction. He's a long time, uh, was a long time county criminal judge. And um, last year, I talked to a gentleman named, gentleman named Brendan Jones. So this story has to deal with Phil Sorrells' time as judge in 2021, right before he ran. Uh, but it's important because Phil Sorrells is now the top uh, district attorney over this same case. And he arguably created this um, 
this case, fabricated this case. So Brandon Jones, um, he's a young man, married, um, has a, a stepdaughter, and um, some family court issues came up, spilled over into the criminal court system. This happens fairly often. Someone makes allegations. Um, there were a lot of police, you know, someone meaning his exes, his wife's ex made some allegations and was sending police over constantly, uh, harassing him. And so his, his family went into hiding and he refused to tell a family court judge, um, where the location was. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, that leads to jail time that led to him being, uh, what he would say was, you know, uh, falsely arrested. And they said he was resisting arrest, which he denied. So that whole family court ordeal landed brendan in criminal court number 10 on october 4th 2021 and when he arrived his his account of the story is that um when he was talking to judge sorrels uh sorrels took offense with the fact that jones was he said being polite but but also criticizing the fact that he was having to be there uh without any without having committed any discernible crime and so phil uh, according to Brendan, and I have some documentation here, which we'll go over, um, s said that Phil looked at him and said, well, I guess you're not present, which means he was going to issue a bench warrant for non-appearance, um, which they do. If you don't show up for court, they'll issue a bench warrant. And Brendan realized what Phil was th verbally threatening, and he went downstairs with several witnesses and signed an affidavit in the county clerk's office. And I have a copy of that here. That's that same day and time swearing that he was present in court. And there's a witness, and it is certified by um, the office of the county clerk, which is next to, which is on the second floor of the Tim Curry building. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting if you look at the um, the uh, bench warrant. It said they called roll at nine forty nine a.m., which is interesting because they would have called roll at nine a.m. That's when that's when you have to be seated, you have to be present. And they call roll one time. You're either there or you aren't, right? You either are on time and you're present or you're not. For them to call roll again almost an hour later is very suspect. And it it is um, it, it appears that it was done as soon as Brennan left to, to, to catch him, you know, not being in court. And so he has this outstanding bench warrant that has not allowed him to – he's in hiding. Um, he hasn't been – he has not been able to see his wife and daughter because of this. And um, like I said, he's, he, can't, he's, he can't get his life back together. And he hopes that because um, this order was – this whole uh, bench warrant was ordered by Phil Sorrells, who is now the top prosecutor. He argues that the DA cannot ethically prosecute this case. So we have an example. I think a lot of people think whenever a prosecutor is prosecuting something, it's A, an actual crime – and, you know, be uh, ethically a crime, right? We'll talk about some things that were technically crimes that prosecutors have gone after that arguably should never have been prosecuted. Um, so that's the first example. Do you guys mm -hmm. have any questions on that? Yeah, so why why is he fighting this? I mean, it's clear he has evidence that he was there during the time. He mm -hmm. was reportedly mm -hmm. not there. Mm -hmm. Why, did, why didn't, does he have an attorney, I'm guessing? Can his attorney just prove this really quickly to be a, a, fal a falsehood? Yeah, I don't know if he has an attorney. He probably will seek that. Um, he is going to have people speak at the commissioner's court coming up in the near future to make this very public. We, of course, we published a story on this. Phil did not respond to our question, our request for comments. Um, but it, it seems ups if, if what Brennan is saying is, is true and it's backed up by what I've read and witness statements, 
um, it seems absurd that the DA would still be prosecuting this case. It's right. very, you know, it's it's very clear just based on the government's own documents right, that there's right. some really weird things going going on here. So, sure. so yes, it would be the it would be the role of a of a defense attorney to talk to the DA's office. Um, but this is a very high profile case that's probably um, embarrassing for the DA's office. So in these situations, what I found, and I'll share some stories that are very similar, they'll kind of double down on being wrong about something out of pride and spite sure. uh, because it's embarrassing. Um, so unfortunately, in these cases, you'll kind of see the district attorney's office kind of dig their heels in. They maybe wait a couple years before they drop the charges finally, which is mm. horrible. Yeah. Can um, he drop a bench warrant like that? Like what is uh, – what's the – what time that this other guy would have to like, is that pretty significant that bench warrant like that? If he were to be arrested, if he showed up to, uh, you know, was arrested, he would, he would serve, um, I'm sure it's not, not like a year in jail, but he would be in jail for, for a while. For mm-hmm. a so it's a serious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it is. Um, could be a month or a week or something in jail. It's enough that he doesn't want to show up in Tarrant County. Fair. Um, and, and the DA's office could drop this, um, instantly. Where do you get access to these stories? You go and comb through. Like, how did you like this one? Tip? Or you get a tip or something? He must have reached out to me. I think. Mm-hmm. I think someone reached. A lot of these cases are people reaching out to me. Mm-hmm. And then I'll I'll meet them. And um, you know, I've did met you meet him. him? Yeah, I did meet him. Real nice well, guy. You can't tell us where because no. he's he he's not in Tarrant County right now either way. So, but at the do time, you, do you know where he is now, Eddie? I do, but. I, can't was, say. Yeah, that's sure, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you, you are, you're in contact with him. On I'm a- in contact with him, yes. And I met him. And even when I met him, of course, anytime he shows up in public, it's, you know, it's it puts his safety, his liberty, I should say, uh, and possibly his safety in, in jeopardy. Um, but yeah, he reached out to me. And I'll, what I do with these with these stories is I, I talk to them. And one of the first things I ask is for them to back up everything they say with, with documents. And he was one that was very good. He literally had a pile of, he'd been collecting, you know, just like I do. He knows how yeah. to ask for stuff. And that's where I'm like, okay, this guy's he's backing up what he's saying. And then mm-hmm. you continue talking, talk to other witnesses. Okay, it's very consistent. And then you reach a point where like, okay, it's I would I'll put my name, I'll put my name behind it. It's very credible at that point. <laughs> like yeah, fair. Yeah, so yeah, the continue, one please. thing though you said is that the it, it appear it seemed to me, maybe I made this assumption, that the wife and the wife was making the accusations I'm sorry. that started it to begin with. But uh, the wife's ex husband. Okay. There's okay. A, the yeah. X. Because then you were saying that he couldn't see his wife and family or whatever, right? And then you were like, wait, why would he want to see them if they're the ones who kind of- No, no, they didn't. I mean, he did, they, his wife and stepdaughter didn't, didn't do anything wrong. They were terrified by all the uh, police, uh, resulting police raids and Brendan's arrest and all this kind of stuff. And so they've just kind of, from what I understand, they've gone into hiding for their own safety. Okay. Unfortunately, it's a real tragic story. Yeah. Next story. So um, this one, I'm going to be kind of brief on this next one because the, the, the last three I think are, are really, really important. Um, but the idea that people who are you know in jail or being prosecuted, they must be bad guys. There's a gentleman named Manuel Mata who's a, a local citizen journalist. So he's a cop watcher. Uh, it's a very popular thing on YouTube now to see people going out and videotaping uh, police and government buildings. So he does this. And so uh, his job um, invariably um, offends you know uh, local police. And, um, and so he's made, he's made enemies with, um, with law enforcement. And I'll give you two examples of two times he was arrested while doing his, um, his, his cop watching one. He was, uh, this is all live streams. You can go, you can watch, literally watch these interactions in Fort Worth. Uh, one, he's walking to a gas station and a fourth police officer, Bengal approaches him. He, uh, Bengal clearly recognizes Manuel Mata, um, and says that 
Mata is interfering with a police investigation. Well, way in the background, about a football field's uh, length away, is uh, the police had pulled over somebody, right? Mata is trying to get to the gas station. He said he said he's going to get uh, some cigarettes. And this officer is going up and saying, no, you cannot walk on this uh, sidewalk. And then eventually um, – He's arrest- like filming it. Yeah, yeah, Mata, and he said he does a lot of this. Sometimes he's filming just for his own self uh, safety. He wasn't even like you know trying to cop watch that more. He just if he sees a cop approaching, he turns on his camera. And a lot of people are learning you have to do this um, either to protect yourself or to later exonerate yourself, right? And so that video is is very clear. But he was arrested and he spent a month in jail for that. And you can watch the video and see that he didn't commit any crime whatsoever. Um, another incident, he was in the Tanner Appraisal District uh, building and was uh, there as a citizen journalist, was filming the events. And again, um, you know, Tad, some of these places, um, they don't like what he does. So they booted him out around uh, June. And as they're pushing him out, they allege that he assaulted one of the officers. Um, again, it's videotaped, both from his point of view and another gentleman's point of view and the security cameras. I've watched it all. And he does he doesn't hit anyone. So, but he's again, you know, arrested and he spends another uh, month in jail. He's currently facing several misdemeanor charges, um, all stemming from his work um, as a First Amendment auditor, someone who's working in the public interest, but he does piss off law enforcement. And um, district attorneys very often work very closely with law enforcement. Uh, yeah, with law enforcement. Um, they would say that they don't. Uh, but that's not true. They they're they're basic. They you know they, they're basically friends. They know each other, mm-hmm. and so that, and that's I wanted to mention his name because you know he's he's you know these things can last for years before they they resolve these cases. But he's someone who um, the community looks up to and respects, and uh, the local criminal justice system has targeted him uh, purely because he embarrasses um, um, local officials, public officials. So Manuel Mata. Okay. Um, yeah. Does he have a YouTube site? At uh, Manuel, M-A-N-U-E-L, uh, Mata, I believe, you, you can find him. Yeah, pretty popular. Some of his stuff is, is pretty I've popular. I've seen a couple of these over the over the, over time, but mm-hmm. it's, it's impressive what, what he's doing to- Oh, okay. I, I, th- I feel like there's a, there's a place for this in the world. It makes me nervous, Yeah, obviously, for that reason. But yeah. yes, people do this now that are trying to catch keep the cops honest. And mm-hmm. obviously, we know cops are relatively good in that regard, but there are some out there that- maybe do some things that this guy's looking for. So, what, you know, what's your take on that? I can venture to guess where you're going to go on this, but it, you know, but are we getting to a point where, you know, people change when they're on camera, we got a camera here. Uh, I'm asking you things maybe a little bit differently than I would if we were just sitting around having a cup of coffee or something like that. But um, are we, are we policing ourselves too much? Because you know, that most likely the officers are like, I'm getting filmed. I don't want to be filmed, you know, that kind of thing. And so playing the other side of it, is it, is it necessary to just be filming all the time, you know, everywhere and everything. And some people that's their lives, right. Mm -hmm. And that's their livelihood and Mm -hmm. things like that. And going and finding um, exciting and sensational thing, you being from the media, are we getting too sensational, you know, about all of this stuff? Are we selling our souls for a little bit of excitement, you know? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, it, it, the uh, the citizen auditor, the citizen journalist movements, um, it, 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 it's hard to categorize them as, as, as uh, they're not unified. You have some people who do it very carefully. You have some people who are very outlandish. And so it's, it's, it's hard to um, talk about it without 
admitting that um, there are people that do a better job than others at mm-hmm. it, right? A more responsible job at it. But at its core, it's it's the idea that if if we do not assert certain rights, we will lose them. And I think that's a fair um, assertion. And I think when you watch these videos and you see government officials totally unaware that we, yes, we have every right to be inside public buildings filming. We do. That's a that is a constitutional right to, to see how many elected officials, government staff, cops do not understand that. I think they need to learn that. And I think if if we allow that to be eroded, we're going to find ourselves in a position where government thinks that we work for them. And I think that's 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 the the battle that uh, that they're involved in. Does all that recording, though, push things to a darker place, in your opinion? I'm sure it upsets. Um, and you can tell, you're right. It, you know, to your point, it does, um, when you put a camera in front of a cop's face, it you can tell it makes them agitated, right? They don't like it. Um, but I think, you know, people, citizen auditors would argue that um, it's their job to be the adult in the room. And I think it's the same way, actually, with uh, Phil Sorrells. Because, I, you know, when we published a story, I saw a comment. Someone said, how dare they talk back, you know, if this person talked back to a judge or, you know, they, they invited this, you know, retaliation. And I don't mind, you know, saying that uh, it's not, it's not the judge's job to um, do anything, but be an adult. And it, I don't care what that person says, unless they're threatening you, which Brennan Jones wasn't. Um, if they're upsetting you as a government official, you need to put those emotions behind you because your job is your public servant and your job is to either minister the law or uh, enforce the law or, you know, as, as prosecutors, prosecutors do um, um, enforce the law in a courtroom. So, I mean, yes, it gets people upset, but I think we need to understand that the burden is on the people that we're paying as taxpayers to be the responsible adult at all times. It's hard though because we're at a place. Uh, sorry, just something yeah, to make yeah, this yeah, statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're we're doing all kinds of things. I recently saw the mayor of our, you know, our great mayor in this great city talk about um, some of the things she had to go through and making the decision to run again and things like that. And it's just one of those deals where we're just getting more and more primitive in our ways, and it's harder and harder, I think, for people, no matter who they are, where they are, to keep that emotional restraint, especially if they've got a cell phone camera in their face sure keep going on the story fair, fair point fair point <laughs> so i want to say most of the time for uh, did you like my opinion there Jay? no yes. no it's yes. it's <laughs> it's it's a it's an important perspective um to bring that you know sometimes i mean i'm not going to be an apologist for every citizen journalist if they're going out there being reckless and inciting yeah. things i'm not i am yeah. not advocating for that but a lot of them do with, with the right intentions i would say most of them do with the right intentions um I want to spend the last part of our conversation talking about a prosecutor in Tarrant County. He's one of the top prosecutors there of the White Collar Crimes Division. Um, his name is Lloyd Witchell. And his job is to um, investigate corrupt public officials. And these three stories I have would say that arguably Lloyd Witchell is one of the, if not the most corrupt public official uh, in Tarrant County. So it's not without irony that his job is to investigate um, white collar crimes, I'll just say. So I'm going to give you three stories. Um, what an introduction. Yeah, what an introduction. So I've, I've got – now that – well, <laughs> we'll just start the show at this point. Um, I'm going to go chronologically because there, there are three stories, he uh, cases he prosecuted um, that are very interesting. Um, the oldest one, it wasn't that long ago, um, were these two South Lake school board members 
in early 2021, I don't know if you remember, uh, these two school board members were indicted for violating the Open Meetings Act, the Open Meetings Act. And uh, I've, I've spent a lot of time investigating this story, and I was nominated for a journalism award. Um, Tarrant County has never prosecuted an Open Meetings Act violations in the history. I requested copies from the county of any example of them prosecuting this. Um, it's very rarely prosecuted in the state of Texas. Uh, because it's a hard case to prosecute. It's it's um, you know it's 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 a bureaucratic. It's an important law, but it's kind of bureaucratic, and it, elected officials understandably might make mistakes or, or not you know comply with levels. It's not a very it's not as clear cut as other crimes are. It's not like theft. Uh, so anyway, um, the DA's office had never prosecuted this case, this type of crime, I should say, uh, in its history. Um, the timing of it happening right uh, as the elections were occurring for the school board was interesting. And then I realized that it was never uh, investigated by the police. So typically what happens with um, charges, usually a local law enforcement will do the initial investigation and they'll ask the district attorney's office to accept the case. So unprecedented prosecutions have always kind of caught my attention. So uh, if, you, if, if, if a uh, DA's office is prosecuting something, uh, a type of crime for the first time in its history, that's that's always of interest, right? Because there's usually a reason that they do not, there's a reason that the district attorney's office did not prosecute the uh, Opening Meeting Act for the past, I don't know, whatever, 80, 90 years the office has been in existence, maybe longer. Um, and there's usually a reason for that. A lot of large government organizations that very brazen, brazenly um, keep the public out of um, important meetings. And this was an example where two board members were texting each other trying to resolve a very painful moment in that city's history as it came to terms with um, just rampant racism within that city. So these are two board members who um, were trying to heal the community, uh, but they became used as political, um, political pawns in an election that ultimately got our county judge elected. Um, Lloyd Witchell was also involved in a uh, case of a former justice of the peace named Jackie Wright. And this was another um, unprecedented uh, prosecution. This time, uh, Lloyd Witchell um, prosecuted someone for not updating their homestead exemption. So uh, Jackie um, is an elderly lady. Um, she did not uh, – she found out, I should say, because I don't know what she did or didn't know, but she found out that her home did not have the proper homestead exemption because she rents – she has a couple homes that she's renting. Um, so in 2019, um, she – contacted Tad, noted the error, brought it to their attention, and then paid the money that she owed. But what she didn't know is at that same time, as she's doing that, the district attorney's office uh, is investigating her. Um, and then after she pays the arrears, um, she is indicted on these felony charges for uh, what was vaguely called public corruption at the time. And so um, what in talking to Jack and her family, um, she had made enemies with some powerful folks um, J.D. Wilson, um, uh, J.D. Johnson, I apologize, and uh, who was the commissioner at the time, and Jody Johnson, who was the constable at the time, and some other Republican operatives. And so she maintains that uh, they want her out of office. And so it's important to understand um, not updating your homestead exemption is not a, a criminal act. There's no penal code violation in Texas for um, – you know, forgetting to update your your um, 
your homestead exemption. It's a civil matter. I wouldn't think so, yeah. Yeah, it's a civil matter. They don't come arrest you. They don't throw you in jail. It's not a felony. It's a civil matter. So if they find out, if Terran Appraisal District finds out you haven't paid your uh, money, they contact you and you pay your money. You have to pay it, but it's it's not a, it's never given to the fourth PD or something. And so the district attorney's office, um, they were in an interesting situation because they had caught her doing something that literally was not a crime, but they had already indicted her. So they needed to come up with something to charge her with. And what they did was they came up with this idea of government tampering of a document. Um, so that's, that's the charge she eventually went to trial for um, early last year. And I want to emphasize, when you think of tampering with the government document, and we've actually found public officials who've done this, uh, Jeff Law, we've, you know, with TAD. But I imagine someone, you know, breaking into a building, pulling out a file, uh, getting a Sharpie, you know, altering something. Um, and to be clear, Jackie never tampered with any document. This was a document that existed in Tad's office, right? And whenever she notified them about it, they updated the document. So it's it was real. It was a real stretch to say that this old lady forgetting to update her exemption uh, was tampering with the documents. I also found out from uh, Tad's own records, Tarrant Appraisal District, that uh, at any given time in Tarrant County, there are thousands of people who have not updated their homestead exemption. Uh, maybe their parent died and they moved into the house and they're still enjoying that tax break. It happens. They're not supposed to do that, but it happens. Or someone you know uses it, um, misuses it to, to save money, you know, or it's just an accident. I don't think the district attorney's office, it, it, district attorney's office, is going to indict all those people with felonies. So anyway, um, they did indict Jackie and I uh, went to the trial because I was, I was blown away by the, um, the basics of the case. You know, this lady had forgotten to update her homestead exemption and she was arrested and charged with a felony. And I knew the background. I knew a lot about the Johnson family. I knew the kind of the political int- intrigue of, you know, precinct four. Um, it all was very consistent uh, with, with what we found. And ironically, JD's office was, is, or was incredibly corrupt. I mean, he would use government materials and, and resources and employees for his personal campaign. And it's all documented. Um, so, but he was never charged with anything, right? So the, if you're part of the old boy club, you can pretty much do anything, get away with it. Uh, but if you, if you if you become enemies with the old boy club, you get thrown in jail. Um, unfortunately, Jackie... Um, was found guilty of this, um, was found guilty of the, of the, of the charges. And she's currently appealing her case and the judge in front of that, sorry, the judge presiding over that case, uh, was Daryl coffee. So mm. that's what got me following, uh, the retired judges and looking into, uh, false, uh, assignments as a senior judge, all the stuff that has happened, um, in the, in the intervening, uh, almost year was because of Jackie's case. And I also want to mention the number two prosecutor um, at the DA's office is Rob Catalano. And he uh, recused himself from Jackie's case, but was still present there during the trial. And I've asked him, he's never answered the question, why did he recuse himself from the case and bring in, and bring in this bogus retired judge who had no oath of office on file and who was never a senior judge. And so anyways, now we've talked about Phil, we've talked about Rob Catalano. One more story about Lloyd Witchell. Um, Last September, um, I was found not guilty of uh, harassment and by a jury. And so- um, You were? I was. This is a personal story. Lloyd Witchell was the prosecutor in my case. And, you know, long story short, I, I'm finally out of this family court 
um, reunification process, um, these false charges were used to try to keep me from seeing my daughter. A lot of times mm-hmm. people will make up stuff to, to skew the, uh, the family court process. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happened with me. Um, 12, 13 phone calls, unanswered phone calls that I'd made to um, a man who was hiding my child in his house was used as um, an alleged criminal offense. Um, and that was also partly contrived by the district attorney's office, who's good friends, who maintains close connections with my daughter's maternal family, right? So I'm fully exonerated from that. But um, in the three years that I was facing these bogus charges, uh, Lloyd Witchell was, Sharon Wilson, I should say, placed Lloyd Witchell on my case. So the white collar crimes top prosecutor was placed on my class B misdemeanor charge as a sign of we have power over you now. All right. So I've, by that point, I'd written a lot of scathing things about Sharon Wilson and Lloyd Witchell. And so the whole idea that he, that he would be the one over my case, and he tried his darndest in court um, to get me found guilty because it would have been a blemish on my career and it would have been payback. Um, and, he, and he honestly lost his temper. It was very clear he lost his temper during the trial and, and made up a lot of things, fabricated a lot of things to do anything he could to find me guilty. And he ultimately lost. Um, but I want to read a letter, and maybe this will be the last thing we do because I know we're running close on time. Sure. This kind of summarizes the situation that, that I was in. And I sent this letter to the, the district attorney's office uh, a few weeks before my trial just to put them on notice about how absurd they, what they were doing was. So here's the letter that, that they have on record. <clears throat> I am filing this letter so the district attorney's office cannot feign ignorance about the actions of DA Sharon Wilson and assistant district attorney Lloyd Witchell in the coming weeks. The intentional placement of Witchell over my harassment trial is an overt act of aggression and intimidation on the part of Wilson and Witchell and a possible violation of Section 3902, Abuse of Official Office, which explicitly outlaws the use of office to harm or defraud another, or Texas Penal Code 3903, which prohibits an official from using their office to mistreat an individual. At issue are more than a dozen articles published by the Fourth Weekly that have undoubtedly maligned Witchell's reputation. Many of those articles were written by myself, and I am the co-author of many of the editorials that have similarly reported on malfeasance on the part of the DA, of DA Wilson. For three years, my case, which involves unanswered phone calls to a middle-aged man who is hiding my daughter in his home, has been subject to last-minute court cancellations and an absolute lack of effort to resolve this matter so I can finally resolve my child custody case. The message was clear. Stop investigating tips related to the DA's office. And I want to say, be clear, they never offered any form of um, plea bargaining for three years. Um, This was done to force me to go to trial so Witchell could have his revenge on me. All right, back to the letter. It defies belief that out of all of the assistant district attorneys who can be tasked with disposing of a Class B misdemeanor from someone with no criminal record that the head of white-collar crimes happens to be assigned to my trial. Witchell has placed himself in a position where he can finally seek retribution for my reporting on the two Carroll School Board indictments that singularly served the interests of himself, the recipient of District Attorney Wilson's endorsement for county judge. Our magazine's reporting on the trial of Jackie Wright has similarly maligned the reputation of Wilson, Witchell, and the Public Integrity Unit. Both bodies of reporting made me a finalist for a First Amendment Award and Diamond Award. 
Attached, you'll see links to my articles on Witchell. Our newspapers reporting on D.A. Wilson are well known, so I'm not including those links. In June 2019, I've documented obstruction of justice on the part of Assistant District Attorney Alfredo Valverde and botched attempts to cover up those actions. Basically, the DA went out of the way to um, fabricate these criminal charges in the first place, and that could be its own story. Um, I should not be the subject of, to retribution or intimidation for exercising my rights as a U.S. citizen to file sworn complaints tied to those acts or as a journalist following news tips wherever they lead. So anyway, that's, uh, that's Lloyd Witchell, and that's the district attorney's office uh, way of trying to seek revenge on uh, a news reporter. So... Eddie, but I, yeah. what do you hope comes from this? I mean, I, I appreciate you telling your story. What, what are you wanting this to become? You've reported on it. You've published it. You've talked about it here with us. What is your what is your desired outcome, if there is one? Again, I, I um, you know, my trial was, was closely followed by a lot of people, and a lot of attorneys were very interested in it. And when, when Lloyd lost, it was considered um, a, a big victory for um you know, for justice and integrity in Tarrant County. My, one of the, one of the reasons I'm, I'm, I'm focused on prosecutors and I'm talking to you on your show today is that, again, I, I think prosecutors are not scrutinized um, to the levels that they should be. They have incredible leeway on uh, whether they fabricate um, criminal charges, knowingly uh, withhold evidence, uh, willfully keep people facing charges who they know are innocent for purely political and petty reasons. And until we have an honest uh, understanding of the role that they can play um, the, in creating injustices in our system, we'll never have a system that works for the people. Is the journalism that you're speaking of, is that the way that keep, to keep these folks honest? Is that how, this, how these guys get, get kept in check? That's one way to do it. Um, they have incredible levels of immunity, so they can c- commit things that would be considered criminal acts in, in the line of their, their work, mm-hmm. and uh, they're immune from it, just like judges are. So until there are reforms that allow uh, prosecutors to be uh, prosecuted um, or disbarred more easily, um, they're never. it's very unlikely that of their own volition they will do the right thing simply because um, I'm, ex- I'm exposing them. I wish that that were enough, um, that public sentiment were enough, um, but there needs to be there needs to be meaningful reforms um, that allows that causes prosecutors to understand that they can get in trouble. They can not only lose their job, they can go to jail um, for this the types of misconduct <laughs> that that we've um, discussed today. Fair. Do uh, prosecutors get prosecuted ever? I like can't was, think of, you know, I mean, if they if they go if they pull out a gun and shoot someone in court, I, I guess they would get prosecuted. But if they do anything in their capacity as uh, prosecutors, um, even to the extent that they, um, you know, withhold evidence that leads to someone being executed, you know, and stuff like that has happened, um, they're never as so much as sued. You know, they're they're completely immune from anything. And in, in what career, in what other job can you name if someone? screws up royally that they have absolutely no there's absolutely no accountability so that's that's something that's very unique to prosecutors judges and district attorneys and this show eddie sometimes yeah and this show yeah sometimes (laughs) i think it's reflective actually of like our whole system right now not just Mm -hmm. in the public sector but the private sector as well i mean i just think that we're at a place in time where um 
there's maybe not a lot of accountability. And I'm not saying that because I agree with some of the kind of accusations you made here Mm -hmm. today. I just, um, I do think, you know, um, it's difficult uh, to get good people in good jobs to, to continue to do things when there's this much speculation you know over so many things uh and their actions and things like that and in the government side of things it's a very open book or it should be on you know what they are i i think you know quite honestly these things happen all throughout society mm-hmm. it's just that there's not the freedom of information act at a corporation you can't go and say hey i want a foia you Correct. at McDonald's for spitting in my burger. I mean, it's just, you know, and I, and I think that that is where a lot of the degradation of uh, American government has gone is because of um, the ability of going and just fine tooth combing everything. I mean, it, it, it makes it real difficult, you know, and I'm, and I'm not, mm-hmm. I hope you take that as just. Oh yeah. Uh, looking I, I, at I would, from yeah, sure. And I, you're absolutely right there. There's an open records act for, you know, what happens at McDonald's, but there's a fundamental difference between, um, government and private business. And uh, there's there's regulations for private business, you know, the SEC, there's ways to do that. But we all have a vested interest in, in government because that is, um, that's that's the ideal that, that will either allow us to have our civil rights or not. McDonald's is not going to meaningfully infringe on our civil rights. McDonald's is not going to falsely jail us or uh, shoot us, you know, during a, during a, a, a a traffic stop. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I do, I do draw, um, respectfully draw the distinction between the two. And I think any government scrutiny is good and welcome. Yep. <laughs> Clearly you do, my friend. Well, Eddie, thank you for sharing your thoughts here and, and, and yeah. excellent work. I know you're always looking for, to do, to do right with your, with your investigative journalism. So thank you for sharing it with us today. We appreciate you very much. Thanks for having me on. We look forward to next time. Thank you for watching Fortitude. Thank you, Captain X Bank. Thank Until you. next time. Roxo Media House.